meant for evil and turns it for good. Can you get an amen on that one? Isn't that awesome? Uh, how are you guys doing this morning? Those of you guys that are joining us in person, those of you that are joining us online, I want to thank you for being here and joining us this morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing in our series called The Opposition Within. Last week we talked about guilt, how that is within us. And guilt says, I owe you. And today we're talking about anger, which is the opposite. Anger says, you owe me. And the main thing today is anger is a growing cancer and forgiveness is the only cure. Now, um, I want you guys to know that, that we, I do the preaching calendar a year in advance. You guys have heard that. And um, I had no intention of preaching on anger when our, yesterday our nation went through a massive conniption uh, about, uh, and, and all kinds of things. We'll get to that in a second. But this is God's perfect timing for this. Uh, Friday night and all of yesterday, I basically saw a massive meltdown in our, in our country, uh, as, as if this year, 2020, was not crazy enough. Um, it's an election year and, and controversial. It wasn't stressful enough. Friday night, we saw the, uh, the, the death of a, a Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and our prayers are with her family for the comfort during this time. But now a Supreme Court position is in play in this election year as if it could get any crazier. You know, I think we need, a, a, you know, maybe a, a, a pool. Uh, you know, who has uh, a meteor striking for next week? You know, this guy, it, that's kind of the way it is. The whole year has, has been. And yesterday, uh, there, uh, there were several threats of violence and civil war from verified Twitter accounts. One of them, former CNN anchor Reza Aslan, said if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire uh, profanity thing down. Um, he sounds angry. Um, one of the ongoing issues I see with people in general in our country, and, and men in particular, um, is anger. I'll say the average guy in America would describe himself as angry. Most people, most men do. I don't know if you know that, ladies, but most men describe themselves as angry. They don't know why they're angry. Not angry necessarily at anything in particular. They're just angry. Um, and uh, and I, I'm not saying that you're angry. I'm saying that's the way you would describe yourself. And, and in his book, uh, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge was, uh, told a story about he was working on a sprinkler system, trying to install a sprinkler system in his yard. And he got frustrated at this one point. He didn't know what to do. And he, he says in the book, he found himself thinking, if there's only someone to show me how to do this, if, if I just had somebody who knew what they were doing to show me, get me past this one part, I could do it. And he didn't have anyone. And he said, like a light bulb went on, he said, that's why so many men, especially, are angry in life. Uh, we don't have, we're trying to do this thing called life. We don't know what to do. We don't have anyone to show us. Um, if there's just someone to show me how to do this, this thing called life. Uh, many of us have kind of been left to figure out life on our, uh, on our own. Um, uh, we don't have people to show us situations. Maybe, maybe you didn't have a good example growing up. Maybe you, maybe you, were, uh, you, you grew up in a single home and you have no idea how to be married because you've never seen people be married. Um, maybe you've had absent or distant parents so you have no idea how to discipline your own kids. Um, maybe you have your profession without mentors and you're kind of left to figure out your, your, your job on your own. Uh, who knows? Well, many of us also, 
aside from that, I've experienced hurt. It's true. We've had people treat us badly, then mean, downright awful. And, and yes, I, I'm, I am astounded at what people will say to each other. I, I know I shouldn't be because I'm 46. I've been around in this world for a while. But I am still astounded what people will actually say to each other. More than that, what they will text to each other. I, people show me phones of, of family members and, and, and even spouses that text these hateful things to each, to, to, to each other. So it's astounding. And, and see, over time, you guys, over time, a repeated dose of that will mold you into someone you really aren't supposed to be. And I think we all know that. You become a volatile, mean, gossiping person who lashes out at people, who loses their cool at the slightest inconvenience, who goes off on the people around you. And the crazy thing is, we know that it's wrong, but not only do we continue to do it, we actually embrace it. We actually embrace it. And it's because our culture tells us all a lie. I found this quote somewhere, and I, can't, I, can't, I wrote it down because it meant so much to me. I had forgotten where it was from, uh, but it says this. In time, we come to believe the lie, and this is the lie. It's okay for you to behave the way you do. You have no choice. For you, this behavior is perfectly acceptable. You're under no obligation to change. You have every right to be the way you are. After all, look what people have done to you. That's the lie that our culture tells us. Look what life has done to you. No wonder you are the way you are. No wonder you treat people the way you treat people. No wonder you're so angry. Look what people have done to you. And we use that to justify how we treat people. Um, when I was a young man in my <clears throat> early 20s, starting out in ministry, I experienced my first church conflict. Hey, y'all didn't know that happened, do you? Well, church is full of people, unfortunately. It's not perfect, so there is conflict. And there's a parent that had contacted, okay, this, this is, y'all will love this. There's a parent who had contacted my supervisor's supervisor. Not me, not my supervisor, but my supervisor's supervisor. Supervisor, You guys know probably where this is going because this probably happened to you. Um, it, and it wasn't something that I had done. It was something apparently I should have done or that I, that I didn't, uh, that, that I hadn't done, but this parent thought I should have. Um, I was leading worship at the time. I was a musician, and, and we just um, uh, opened up the band to uh, youth, and we were going to have a youth band, and, and so we were looking for youth musicians. And this... this, this um, child of this parent wanted to be in the band but wasn't in the band not because I said you couldn't be in the band but because he didn't come tell me he wanted to be in the band and so this parent called and uh, uh, called the supervisor's supervisor who had a meeting with my supervisor who had a meeting with me Okay, and, uh, and the parent had told the guy that her son wanted to be on the worship team but was afraid to talk to me because I was unapproachable and intimidating. I, uh, and so my supervisor told me in the meeting, the mom had said some things about me that were just blatantly untrue, that I went off on the kids all the time and, and this kind of thing. It's, just, it, it's completely untrue. I, I, and I told them how ridiculous it was and I asked if I could meet with the person and they said, we don't think that would be a good idea. And then I'll never forget what he said. He's, the, my supervisor said, you have to understand that she's been hurt by the church before. You have to understand that. You just need to understand. You just need to listen. And then he said something that, I would, I, I, that, that was very strange. He said, you have to understand it comes from a place of deep hurt. 
It comes from a place of deep hurt. That's what I was told. And I listened because this was my supervisor and this was somebody that I thought, you know, knew things that I didn't. And he was older than me, been in ministry longer than me. And so what he was telling me to do was this person is broken beyond imagine. They can't help behaving like this. They can't help assassinating your character. They can't help causing problems and making accusations because you guys see it, it comes from a place of deep hurt. And over the years, I've realized there's, I need to edit that comment. That comment is completely wrong. Well, not completely wrong. There's one problem with it. I want, we're going to underline the deep hurt part. And we're going to change it because what it comes from is a place of unhealed hurt. Big difference between deep hurt and unhealed hurt. Hurt. See, we prefer the phrase deep hurt because it makes us feel like victims. It makes us feel like, like we can justify whatever we do. It allows us to justify how we treat people after all. It comes from a place of deep hurt, you all. Okay? And see, if we operate out of the first phrase, we can be completely horrible to the people around us. We can be completely horrible to everyone around us because it comes from a place of deep hurt. After all, look what life has done to me. However, we don't, we don't like the phrase unhealed hurt because that means there may be something wrong with us that needs changing, that we need to take to the Lord and let him heal us. And that would take work and that would be scary because we couldn't, be, we couldn't have the identity of a victim anymore. And so we stay with the place of deep hurt, destroying the people around us. See, anger is a cancer, you guys. It's not staying put. It's growing. It's metastasizing. It starts small, and it begins to take over and begins to affect your normal functioning in life, okay? And then it begins to kill you, and this is why. Because anger says, you owe me. I want you to read this with me, James 4, 1 through 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This passage tells us two things we need to get a hold of. Two concepts we need to get a hold of. The first thing is this, is that a, an angry person says, you owe me. I'm, I've moved into the creditor-debtor, uh, uh, I've, I've set up a creditor-debtor relationship, and now you owe me. You've taken something from me. You've, you've, you've taken my respect. You've taken a possession. You've taken the peace of mind. You've taken, I don't know, you've taken my place in the, in the right lane where you cut me off. I don't know what it is, but you've taken something from me, and now you owe me. That's what anger says, okay? The second thing that, this, that James tells us is that if you see someone who is angry, you're looking at someone that isn't getting what they want. Hmm. Really? Is it really that simple? That if you see someone that's angry, you're seeing someone that isn't getting what they want? That's what the Bible says. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Hmm. When we put it in those terms, especially for the men out there who would describe themselves as angry, what, if, what, what does that say about us men? That, why don't we just substitute, instead of I'm an angry person, how about I'm a person that can't stand not getting what he wants? How does that make us sound? How does that, make, how does that set with you? 
Uh, now, now, some of the things that we want are legitimate. We want to be treated with respect. We want to be treated fairly. And when we're not, uh, that gets us angry. That is legitimate. I understand that. However, what is it that you really are angry about throughout the day? There are some legitimate things, and I'm not delegitimizing those, but what is it really? Road rage. You want to go 55 and the person in front of you wants to go 45. And you get angry over that. I'm talking to myself. And so I want you to ask, begin asking yourselves, what is at the heart? What is it that I want that I'm not getting? What is it that I want that I'm not getting? And is this outburst of anger worth it? Is it going to be worth it? How many of us, I don't want to see a show of hands because I know every hand would be up. How many of us have done and said things in anger that have destroyed not only the people around us, but destroyed us? How many of us have genuinely hurt people that we care about because of things we've said and done in anger? Let me, let me rephrase that. How many of us have said and done things to hurt people around us because we didn't get what we wanted? And is it worth it? Hmm. Well, if we are angry, if we are angry because we feel like we're not getting what we want, we feel like people owe us, what is the solution? We've seen the results of anger, and a lot of us have it right now. But what is the solution? Well, the solution to anger is one thing. It's forgiveness. The solution to anger is forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says this, and this is something that we all need to get a hold of. Everyone underline this in your Bible. Highlight it on your U version, whatever it is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So if you see an angry person, you will see a person who is not forgiven yet. Okay? Because anger is the solution. I mean, forgiveness is the solution to anger. And whenever I teach on forgiveness, whether it's in the jail, whether it's in church, whether it's with a couple that is, that is really at each other's throats, and whenever I teach on forgiveness, I usually encounter three types of people and see if this is one, if you are one or more of these. The first person is the people that know they ought to forgive, but they just don't think they can muster the courage. I know I need to do this, but I just can't bring myself to do it yet. Okay? The second type of person is a person that does not like forgiveness because they would feel like they were letting the person off the hook. That justice was not going to be done. All right, maybe that's you. And the third person is probably the one that is the most difficult person to, to minister to. And it's the person who claimed to have gone through the motions of forgiveness, but those memories of old hurts just keep coming back. See, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the type, that, that's kind of the thing that we're dealing with here. And I don't know if you found yourself in one of those three types of people, but that is, that is the way it is. Now, forgiveness is not saying that it didn't happen. Forgiveness, when you forgive someone, it is not saying it didn't happen. It's not even minimizing the hurt that happened. It is not what it is. It is not pretending that things didn't happen. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people think forgiveness is. What forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. Remember, anger says, you owe me. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. That's what forgiveness is. 
It is saying, listen, you have done this, but you don't owe me anymore. I don't need you to hurt. I don't need you to, I don't need an apology because I know I'm not getting one anyway. I don't need you to, to make it up to me. I don't need a letter. I don't need you to hurt. I don't need any of that. I, the, the balance is zero. Canceled. The debt is canceled. We are square. I'm not your creditor. You're not in my debt anymore. That's what forgiveness is. So why do people have so much trouble forgiving? Why is it so hard for us as people to forgive? Well, um, this is why. Uh, in, in Andy Stanley's book, Enemies of the Heart, he writes this. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. The kind of forgiveness Paul is talking about doesn't make any sense unless you are a forgiven person. Wow. That's why it is so hard to forgive. Because we think that we're rewarding our enemy. We think that it is letting them off the hook and our sense of justice goes unfulfilled. The, the, the guys, when I was a freshman on the, on, on, the, on, on the soccer team at Henry Clay that made my life a living hell because I was an obnoxious brat they made my life a, 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 a living hell, and they, they were very unkind. Well, to me, just to let that go, and they bullied me and everything like that, just to let that go, seems like, a, seems like justice isn't done. They just did this, and they got away with it for free, right? I'm sure you have things like that in your past as well. But then shout out of the cross, I realize that I am completely undeserving of God's forgiveness. And my offer of forgiveness to the people around me is the same offer that God made to me, undeserving, completely undeserving. It's one undeserving soul to another. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and every form of malice, Paul tells us, and forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Still doesn't set right, though, to let somebody treat us that way and get off scot-free. Well, I'm asking you for faith, because what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says, it is mine to repay. I will avenge, says the Lord. And when we, when we have the kind of faith, when we forgive, we are trusting that God's justice is better than ours. That, that we are putting our faith. God, you know what is going on. I trust you. I will not take vengeance because my faith is in you. That is, it is simply trusting that God knows better how to deal with that situation than you. That's what forgiveness is. And guys, number five, forgiveness is not a one-time decision. It is a lifestyle Forgiveness is not a one-time decision. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to forgive because we think it's a one-time decision. And the, to the third group of people that have gone through the motions of forgiveness and they just don't, they, the, the things just keep coming back is because you thought forgiveness was a one-time decision. It is not. It is a mindset. Forgiveness is a way of life for people who are determined to keep their lives free of envy and bitterness and rage and anger. Okay, and resentment. And if you're a Christian, you aren't called to treat the people around you the way you've been treated. You are called to treat others the way God has treated you. 
So constant ridding yourself of the feeling that you're owed. It's slaying that demon of entitlement. It's taking care of the demon inside you that reacts every time you don't get what you want. It's being at peace with the world, not constantly at war with it. It's what forgiveness is. It's a mindset that God wants to put in every single one of you. That's what forgiveness is. And so if we're going to own forgiveness, if we're going to make this personal, there are four steps that I want you guys to go through. All right? The first step, step one, who? Write that down, who? You need to identify who you are angry with. And I'm not talking, you can't just say, well, people. No, no, no. You need to get specific, a name. Somebody. You need to name them. Not necessarily for them, for you. You need to name them. You need to get specific in who you need to forgive. Okay? The second is what? What do they owe you? What have they taken from you? What have they done to you? And you need to write it out. Some of you may need to, some of you, that may be an encyclopedia that you're writing. Because I know the stories of some people in this church and there are some bad, bad, bad things, some bad stories that have happened. And, and you need to, but what do they owe you? What have they taken from you? You need to write that out or, or, or get that in your mind. Don't pull any punches. It's not being disrespectful to tell the truth. It's not being disrespectful at all. You need to be specific in what they have done. The third thing, once you've gotten who and what, You've got the debtor, and you've got the debt. Third step is you need to cancel it. You need to cancel it. You need to, you need to basically say, this debt is no longer valid. By the power of the Holy Spirit within me, I am canceling this debt. By the power of God, I, don't, I can't do this myself, but by the power of God within me, I am going to cancel it and I'm going to say they don't owe me any more he is no longer or she is no longer in my debt I'm not expecting anything okay and then the then the fourth step is the hardest I just call it burn you need to burn it how many of you all have ever seen maybe a church that's paid off the mortgage or or a, or a homeowner that's paid off the, and they have a burning, they burn the note. Have you seen that? Okay. You don't need to file that cancellation in the file cabinet. You need to burn it. And that's what this looks like. You need to stop having the imaginary conversations with the person over and over and over. How many of y'all have done that? Yeah. Yeah, if I'd have been there, I'd have said this. And, and, and you have this uh, conversation going on in your mind. Yeah, we gotta stop that. Stop the imaginary conversation. Stop the imagination, imaginary scenarios where you get even, where you get back, where you say the things that you've always wanted to say to them. You stop those, you burn it. Who, what, cancel, burn. And I'd love you guys to just pray and be done. But I can't. I was working on this sermon on Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning is the first day I really start working on sermons. And as I was sitting there and I was going through this, I was like, oh, this is great. 
And the Lord said, it's time for you to live out your message. This time of year for Rachel and I is always a time of reflection because on September 15th was the 16th anniversary of our son's death and it's been a time of reflection. And I, I have not, a lot of you guys know that, but I don't know if y'all know all the things that were going on. It's a long story, I'm not gonna say that, but I was having professional issues as well. The, the, I had um, a group of, of elders at the church that did not like the job I was doing. And um, two weeks, two weeks before our son's uh, birth, the day of our son's birth on September 5th, I got a letter from the elders. And uh, this was, uh, it was basically, you need to get your act together, or you're out of here. Two weeks before the birth of our special needs child. And um, um, as if there wasn't enough personal stress going on, they added that up and they, they uh, said that um, uh, it, it, there were a series of meetings and things like this that uh, they were very, very, very bad. It was very stressful. And um, we, uh, the reason this came up was when Rachel and I were at the cemetery on the 5th, um, at our, what, looking at our, uh, just kind of remembering our son, as we were leaving, I said, you remember, you remember being at the hospital, you remember going there and we had to tell the whole church that we didn't want anyone to come to the hospital because we didn't want the elders coming and pretending they cared. And I said, we shut out a lot of really good people that would really have liked to have been there for us. Some dear friends that we had, I mean, some of my teenagers that were in the youth group and, and, other, and, and we told them all just to stay away because if we, had, if we hadn't said that, some of the elders would have come and, and I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I would have been able to keep, keep my cool. That's how at odds we were, very, very badly. And at our son's funeral, two of the elders that were elders of the church didn't even come to his funeral. And as, um, as I was going through these steps here, I, I realized that um, I still have the letter that they gave me. And I'd kept it. I kept it because I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep it because I wanted to go back and continue to be angry. That's why. I thought that this was wrong. I thought it was unjust. I thought I'd been treated unfairly by leaders in the church that should have been supportive. Instead, they were, they were uh, not supportive at all, critical, um, everything like that. And so, guys, I'm going to work through these steps with you. Who? The former elders of Hendersonville Community Church. Some of who are not even alive today anymore. They're, they're, they're gone. They were, they were older. That was 16 years ago. That's who. I could name names, but I'm not going to do that. That's, that's for me. What do they owe me? What, what, what did they take from me? They took peace of mind. They took support. They took... Um, uh, they, they took a, a situation that was, that was bad and they made it worse. They were critical of my wife. Um, they, uh, they said things that were unfair and untrue. That's what they did. I'm not pulling any punches. I, actually, I am. 
I could, I could say more, but that's enough. And publicly, I've been holding on to this for 16 years. Maybe I've been expecting an apology. Maybe I'm expecting a, a letter. It hasn't come. It's not going to. But I've been allowing that hurt to influence me and to live rent-free in my head. And it's not been good for me. It's not been good for them. And so in front of all of you all, I'm canceling this debt. I'm canceling it. It is no longer valid. They don't owe me anything. And so I am going... to take this letter and to live out my own teaching, I'm going to burn it. See, guys, I've been able to go back to this and read it from time to time. I wanted to hold on to it, but... I'm burning it. Because I don't want it to be part of my life anymore. I'll never be able to go back and read those words. I'll never be able to go back and get angry at them again. I'll never be able to hold on to that. Guys, who, what, Cancel, burn. Now, you all may not actually have a letter in a file cabinet, but you got one in here, don't you? You got something in here that you're going back to. Could have been from 16 years ago, could have been from last week. But there's something that you need to burn. There's something in your heart that you need to completely and utterly destroy. And only you know what it is. So I'm going to invite you, as followers of Jesus Christ, to let go of that which is controlling you, to forgive, to say who, what, without minimizing anything, being honest. Cancel it and burn it. And finally, be free of it. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. During this last song, I'm going to invite you, maybe for the first time in your life, to worship as a person who understands what it means to live in forgiveness. I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, as, uh, um, as everyone in here and everyone online is carrying, carrying the note, carrying the letter around, um, and Father, I pray that you would give them power, the power of your Holy Spirit, to break that, to forgive, to cancel the debt, and to burn it and never, ever pick it back up. Again, I pray, Lord, that you would allow the people in here and that are joining us online the power to do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. 
We thank you that you have forgiven us of the things that we have done. And Lord, give us the strength to go and do likewise and let anger no longer ever be a part of our lives, of our families, of our souls. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand up. Let's worship.